Hi, and welcome to episode 32 of the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this episode, I chat with my friend Jack Finuchin from the Boston Sax Shop about a brand new line of saxophones, the Nexus, launched in conjunction with Chad LB. We also talk about modern saxophone trends and answer some of your questions. And if you have a question for the podcast, feel free to reach out. You can email me, wally, at thesaxophoneacademy.com. Yes. Okay. My kids are upstairs watching Clifford the Big Red Dog, so we've got a man. That that I watched the trailer for that, and it's just like it's it's weird. Like it's it's too real, but it's not real enough, and yeah. it just it it hurts my brain. I don't like it. Yeah, I, don't, I the, wouldn't watch. That's called the Uncanny Valley, Jack. <laughs> no, I mean there's actually little, little scientific research of like when something looks real but not quite, our brains yeah. get freaked out. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan. It's so the same no. thing with the Wayan Brothers uh, White Girls movie. Um, so Jack, <laughs> you're a guy that has a business now, basically another business. Mm-hmm. You've got multiple brands. You're doing a lot of stuff. And when I look at you, I think there's a guy without kids. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed by you. And so you, you've got an existing brand, the Boston Sex Shop that we're going to talk about. You've got you just launched this brand new thing. The Nexus. Um, and so obviously we need to talk about that. But obviously we have to start with, why is Selmer so expensive? <laughs> now, are we talking about vintage Selmer or modern Selmer? Uh, modern Selmer. Vintage pricing is a whole nother ball of wax. But why mm-hmm. are modern Selmer so expensive? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that I think more people are aware of, because I've just been saying it in my lives for the last three years, but... Um, you know, in North America, Selmer Paris has to go through a distributor. So the mm-hmm. distributor, you know, jacks up the prices uh, from, you know, anywhere else in the world, basically, where where you're buying the saxophone from, you're going to be buying it from somebody who bought it directly from Selmer Paris. Uh, however, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't kept up with, with it in a while. I'm not a Selmer Paris dealer at Boston Sax Shop, but it seems like they've started to lower the prices a little bit because... They're probably losing a ton of business. Um, <laughs> but I mean, from, well, and they're also, they're also under, you know, very new management. I mean, I don't know right. if it's totally public knowledge yet, but you know, Jerome Selmer stepped down about six months ago from mm-hmm. the board. And so there's actually not a Selmer family member that has any control anymore. So I, I don't know. I mean, they've got to make some kind of change. Um, but just from a logistical standpoint, I mean, it's, I think it's twofold. Number one, it's just basic, you know, you know, uh, trading on their name stuff that we've seen from oh, yes. a, mil- a million other industries. And to some extent, it is it is the cost of labor in Europe, um, which is significantly higher than, you know, uh, our Asian counterparts. Right, and- but when they make things like the Peugeot automobile, why wouldn't it be higher, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So get onto yeah. the subject of your of your of. I mean, I guess could you consider Boston Sax Shop a micro brand or just a small brand or, you know, I, whatever uh, labels aside. But when I think about that, you know, so one of my first questions my students asked, uh, yeah. I asked my students, "Hey, you got a question for Jack? Was why wouldn't I go with an established brand? You know, and I think you mentioned that. So no one in the Selmer family owns Selmer anymore. It's basically like yeah. a venture capital group. I think. Precisely. Uh, that owns it. None of the original Selmer employees that made the Mark VI are there. There's different body type, tubing. Everything's different. So it, it makes me think of the thought experiment, the ship of Theseus. Are you familiar with this? No, do okay. tell. Yeah, yeah. So basically, if you take Theseus's ship, and ancient philosophers thought about this, and you want to preserve it. And over time, the planks and all the parts rust and rot. 
And so you replace piece by piece until there's no original piece left. Is it right. still the ship of Theseus? Is it still the same thing? And I think about that with Selmer and other brands. You know, is it? why are we still paying for the name when basically it's just a logo and a couple of letters? And so I, it makes me excited about microbrands. And one of the reasons I want to reach out to what you're doing, which I find exciting, is I like new. I like being on board with something that, that's fresh and off the ground. And so let's talk about where did Nexus come about? Yeah, but I want to I wanna make a comment on your your uh, your thought conundrum there. And it's I think it's as simple as the fact that, that people buy people buy the story. They don't buy the product, you know, oh, and um, yeah, that's it. I mean, people buy the story of Selmer, you know, they're 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 the history of the people that have played those instruments far outweighs, you know, the current offering, I think, for most of us. And that's a story that's shifting, you know, in this industry, certainly. But I think that that's, that's the crux of it is just, you know, people want that connection to that lineage and legacy. And we've been so conditioned as consumers to kind of overlook, you know, more the literal, like right. the literal nuts and bolts of things that we just keep throwing our money at it. You know, it's also a status thing. It's a status, it's a status brand. I mean, it's a, I wouldn't go so far to say it's a, you know, a Velvin product by any means, but it's, it's definitely like, especially maybe outside of the United States, even, even more so, especially in, in the Asian countries that I visited, like having a super expensive modern Selmer is, that's a vibe, you know, to have that instrument. Yeah. Well, and I actually know Selmer artists that are world-class players, musicians, and brilliant pedagogues that can't get their hands on one. And even if they could, they're not sure they can afford it. Right. So yeah, it's becoming like the well, we won't dive into wristwatches, but you know, like the the, the ser- Rolex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. If we apply Theseus's yeah. ship to Rolex as well, I mean, some interesting or Catholicism, you know. Oh I'm gonna, my god! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I want to see how much trouble I can get Jack into. I've been to your Instagram lives, and I've always like, man, you better be glad these things aren't recorded. Well, this is recorded, so let's get you into some trouble. Okay, so, great. I, I love fresh new brands. I I kind of don't care about name brands anymore. I love micro brands because you get to know the people. Like I love micro brand watches. I'm wearing mm-hmm. a Dryden right now. It's a couple hundred there bucks. Is. I had nice. it, you know it operates near cost certification ceramic sapphire glass, and I know the owner, and we can chat about it, and it's fun. I love that kind of feeling of being part of the family. Mm. Um, and I you know I asked him where does the name Dryden come from, and he said, well, it's my wife's last name, and I said, oh, why her? He said, well, my last name's Wang. And I'm like, okay, gotcha. And, you know, these little stories <laughs> that when you get these, like, you know, micro brands and these fun, fun brands and small, up, you know, scrappy upstarts, I love it. So tell me how Nexus came about. Sure. Um, so Nexus, uh, basically, I mean, we're coming up on two years now, and, and the brand just launched two weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago yesterday, or a week ago, a week ago yesterday. Yeah, it's not Wally. been two weeks, Jack. Wow, it feels like two weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, Chad Lefkowitz Brown, who, if you have an internet connection and play the saxophone, you probably know who we're talking about, but yeah. he's a phenomenal uh, player, but also well-known as, as an educator as well. And he's created, I think he, you know, kind of trailblazed a lot of the online saxophone education. I, I mean, maybe you don't agree with me, but I, I think that we can kind of look to him as, as someone who kind of took that to a level that maybe nobody was expecting. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, he, he approached me and um, essentially was, was unhappy uh, with, uh, I'll just say, some current relationships with the products that he was endorsing, but also, 
you know, it's, it's very rare for a saxophone player to have the opportunity to basically create their own like complete setup from the ground up and to some degree find somebody who's willing to go down that crazy ass rabbit hole with them and uh our personalities you know just really clicked and it seemed like it would be a fun and of course i was you know i was uh thrilled at the opportunity to work with with chad um being someone who's admired him both from a business standpoint and as a saxophone player for a long time and we just kind of hit the ground running and we started with the saxophone and, uh, you know, then did reeds and a mouthpiece and a ligature. And it's been really cool for me because to me, both of these projects represent, uh, collections in, in a sense, um, uh, kind of capsule collections in a way huh. that, uh, yeah, sure. So like Boston Sack Shop, every single product that I've designed for Boston Sack Shop have been products that I've designed with myself as kind of the ideal customer with, you know, the way that I like to play the players that I like that those sounds are in my head. And from the standpoint that I wanted to make things that I wish that I had had when I was in college or, you know what I mean? Like to me, the most important thing, whenever you're putting something out there in the world that has your name on it to sell to people is it has to solve a problem. And basically Boston sack shop, those products are all solving my own problems, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just saxophone problems the other problems we don't i don't have enough money to solve those right um, Th- then we then we need pfizer involved yeah precisely but but the other i think semi-important or at least you know my my impetus in, in approaching it that way is that i find so many brands just keep putting stuff out there they keep making you know you go on some of these mouthpiece websites and there's 50 mouthpieces to choose from how are you supposed to make a so i didn't want to fall into that trap so I wanted to just like have like I'm only going to make the the, the, the um, superlative ligature. I'll do variations on finisher or everything, but but to right. to me that's that's the ligature I want to use, and therefore I'm not going to come out with another a different ligature and a different ligature. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of like seeing a, a you know Boston Sack Shop is shaping up and Nexus represented a way for me to keep designing products, which is the thing that I've really fallen in love with. But do it from a completely different perspective, a different design aesthetic, and, and you know, a, a much different sound uh, ideal, you know, um, sonically, you know, kind of than where I was going and I'm going with Boston Sock Shop. So it's just been really, really fun. <laughs> I love that it's, it's got a point of view, and you can see that even in you know, your marketing materials, there is an aesthetic point of view, which yeah. I love, where like some of the big brands, and I don't fault them, but like, is it R&B? Is it rock? Is it classic jazz? Is it straight ahead? And the answer is yes. It's, yeah, it's everything. It, it's everything. Yeah. Uh, hand over One, your credit card. It's everything. Right. And, One size And so all. like, I love the idea of, of when you, you market the product, you're going to lose some people and that's cool. It's yeah. not a brand for everyone. It's not the East German shampoo, you know? Uh, Das Bubbles or whatever it was. I mean, there's this whole like <laughs> cult following of these East German brands that were just made like hair dryer. And um, a designer buddy was telling me that like the hair dryer didn't even have a handle. It was just functioning hair dryer. Wow. And so like your stuff has a really strong point of view, which I love. So what was mm. the, the inspiration for this aesthetic? I mean, obviously you have this mid 60s to late 60s love of 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 jazz. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we talking Boston Sack Shop? Yeah, Boston Sack Oh, yeah, we should. We're jumping around. Just read my mind, Jack. I'm trying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Boston Boston Sack Shop? Yeah, Um, first Boston Sack Shop, and then then how is the Nexus different? Because it's a different brand. Yeah, totally. So, for me, Boston Sack Shop, um, I guess I I just wanted to lean into 
the more classic side of things, right. if that if that makes sense. And um, yeah, I I I wanted to have a vibe with everything that looked like it could have been around for the last eighty years. You right. know, like could could kind of yeah, isn't trying to be. Um, yeah, it's it's a fine line, right? Because you you want it to be new. Because if there's anything I hate in this world, it's fake vintage anything like fake vintage faux patina, faux patina, or, or the, faux the, patina. the 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 faux finishes on the unlacquered horns drives me bonkers. Precisely, which is we can talk about the Nexus finishes in a second, um, and the reason we did what we did. But but with Boston Sack Shop, I wanted it to look like it could have come out of you know 1965, but at the same right. time wasn't. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like fake aged or, or, or just like over the top cheesy, um, in terms of the, you know, yeah, you you get what I'm saying. So that's Boston Sack Shop. And, you know, the first time I was hanging out with Chad, we were talking about cars and, you know, he's a Tesla guy. And like, as soon as we started talking about Tesla, which is like kind of the, the, the furthest away from my own personal thing, I was like, okay, this is like, this is where we're going with this. This is going to be like super modern, right. like, you know, very, very kind of edgy, you know, like my ideal car is a Porsche 911. Chad's ideal car is a Lamborghini Huracan. Like, you know, so we're going in that direction with Nexus, which has been really, again, uh, a great kind of challenge for me because it's gotten me out of kind of, you know, my comfort zone to 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 kind of push things maybe more. Uh, in that in that in that space right i love so he wanted to go um tesla and you're like no i love fossil fuels we need <laughs> wait i totally understand jack i get it you don't care about the earth so <laughs> it's it's incredibly modern so you released the horn there's two two versions mm-hmm. one is already yes. sold out to my understanding is that correct uh they're both they both sold out on launch and now Holy we're cow. about to sell out on the pre-sales for the next batch of them the next 20 saxophones so it's um definitely kind of i think surprised both of us you know especially on the saxophone front because i feel like selling people on the saxophone that they've never put in their hands is probably the hardest thing which is why i've i i avoided it for so long and and, right you know didn't have eyes to do it for boston sax shop yeah well i mentioned so like if anyone else had approached you like hey jack make a saxophone you're like no and then and channel b approaches you and you're like okay maybe well I mean, let's just be, you know, transparent here, which is that what drives saxophone sales is who's playing them, you know, and we've seen, I think, a pretty major shift just in the in the vintage market because more players are playing, uh, you know, modern saxophones. I mean, I think about when I was getting into college and, you know, we had the shift from people moving from the Mark six is the only horn you need to, you know, own to right. a super balanced action. And the reason for that being Josh Redman, Chris Potter, uh, Ben Wendell, Seamus, all those dudes were playing those horns and that totally changed everything all of a sudden. So I think that's just the proof in the pudding that, you know, a lot of times, right. I mean, clearly we buy with our eyes and we buy with, um, the intention of, of, you know, trying to have the same equipment our heroes have. Right. 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 And that is a that's a double edged sword that can be you know wielded kind of for good or for bad. Um, and you know when Chad approached me, I was like, well, this is this is somebody that I know reaches a such a such a huge audience, and mm-hmm. people just love how he plays so much um, and respect him so much as an artist that you know this might be somebody that could really uh, kind of uh, move the needle. 
on me, you know, kind of getting over the sort of, uh, you know, uh, negativity about putting out another modern saxophone. And what was great about the, what has been so great about the, the collaboration is, you know, Chad has kind of given me free reign to sort of do whatever I want. And then, you know, we, we sit down and we play it, but you know, for me, it was so important to not kind of fall into the pitfalls of all the other modern saxophones that we've seen come out and, and actually the, have something. Yeah, what are those go ahead. What are those, okay, <laughs> no, you're not, you can't, you can't, okay, you can't, okay. you can't throw that grenade and walk away, okay. Jack. What are the okay. modern pitfalls? Yeah, I mean, for, the most obvious one is just that, you know, um, you like you can go on Alibaba <laughs> and you can pay somebody $500 to put your name on a saxophone and say that it's your saxophone. You know, um, it's easier to make a saxophone with your name on it than any other product that I've ever made for Boston Sax Shop. I mean, it, it can be done so quickly because all those parts are there in China and Taiwan. So the only way that I was going to do this and feel comfortable with it and put my name behind it is if we were actually going to bring something to the table that had unique attributes and again, kind of followed what I try to keep as my through line of, of solving a problem. And the, uh, the first problem to me with most modern horns is just that they fucking weigh too much. <laughs> so you're saying this is, this is a, this is a horn that is lighter in weight than some of the, um, the other counterparts. Yeah, significantly. I mean, this, this horn weighs exactly like literally almost to the ounce as much as my SBA. Um, oh, wow. which if you pick up that horn and you go pick up a, you know, another modern Taiwanese saxophone, like you'll definitely notice a difference. And I don't have the balls to come out and say like, oh, that change in weight is going to affect the sound in this way or that way. Cause I mean, the saxophone does not produce sound by vibrating. It's not that it's not how that instrument functions. And anybody who tells you otherwise, you know, needs to go take a science class, but but it does vibrate. It's not no. that it, it. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's not. It's, it's a not feedback a loop. It feels different to the player, and that matters. That matters. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Like when I'm on Instagram and I'm, you know, making snarky comments about people's giant neck screws or belt bracelets or whatever. Like, I always lead with the caveat that yes, I think this is stupid. Yes, I think you're. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's yes. stupid. But well, right, yeah, but I mean, if it is doing something for you behind the horn that is going to make you want to play more or practice more, or it causes you to play differently, whether it's psychosomatic or not, then that has value. That has real value. I mean, should you be, you know, working on your embouchure instead of that? Probably, but you know, uh wait, what? what? (laughs) You're working on an embouchure? Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. Okay. Thank God. Um, yeah, you're cool. Um, good, 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 good. But so again, I'm not, I, I don't want to advertise that it has a sonic change, but it definitely changes the way that you interact with the instrument. And mm. again, that's going to change how you play. It will, you know, yeah. to some degree, subconscious or not. No, I definitely feel that way about um, ligature um, contact plates. It feels Ooh. differently. Um, sure. And it really does, you know, whether you can tell that 30 feet out in the audience, I no. don't know. But no. the audience isn't playing my damn horn. I am. And I care how yeah. it feels. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way to, I think that's, that's like a, that's a, that's a very safe objective route, which is where I try to, I try to land, you know, cause we've got enough people out there. Hawking selling, nonsense. Hawking nonsense. Hawking there we go. Nonsense. Yeah. That can be the, that can be the spinoff podcast that we do together. Hawking, <laughs> we have our line of fake products. Hawking nonsense. Coleman Hawking nonsense. Coleman, ooh, good pun. 
Mm. Pretty funny. Yeah, we could have like weighted corks, you know, uh, net corks and <laughs> all sorts of good stuff. Perfect. Um, so Nexus is launched. I imagine yeah. um, you've got a million. What's the difference between these new Nexus reads and your Boston Sex Shop reads? Yeah, great question. And one that I feel I will probably be answering until I die. Um, the, the We want, I mean, again, like, you know, I'm in a sort of a privileged position with, with these product designs where I want everything to be a, a foil or a counterpart to the Boston Sack Shop stuff. Right. And that's one of the reasons that I think Chad and I work so well together is because, again, like the style of his playing and aesthetic is, is so different than mine that the products have naturally evolved to be, you know, significantly different than the Boston Sack Shop design. So with the reads in particular, um, I was really inspired by uh, – one of my former teachers, name drop, uh, Jerry Paganzi. Oh, hold uh, on. P- go ahead, pick that up. You just you dropped a big name on the floor. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't have the, uh, my back hurts today. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, he, he's always talking about the old Laveau's reads from like the 80s, you know, which I think are probably best known with their association with uh, a Mr. Michael Brecker. And so I bought a bunch of them off of eBay and I played the new ones and it was never, you know, really impressed and i bought some off ebay and sure enough they were they were killing you know again totally different um than anything i'd ever used before but the the key feature was once i started measuring and i'm using like a a mouthpiece gauge to measure station points along the reed cut and it was interesting because these reeds like the boston stack shop cut is a long vamp with a thicker tip the long vamp is giving it the flexibility to not sound like a doorstop the thicker tip is what's giving it that cooperative resistance in order to be dark and, and even. And, in all honestly, the thing that I didn't expect with those reads is, is I think it's partially what gives them the longevity that people seem to, you know, be talking about, which is because the tip is the thinnest part. If the tip is not breaking down, then the read is going to last longer. Right. You know, when the tip gets too thin, it's, it's Buzz town population. You, <laughs> precisely so with these old Lebose reads and and what we were going for when we kind of worked with Brigati to mimic some of those characteristics was that they have a thinner tip which that's where you're getting your response from the flexibility but they have a shorter vamp so the actual yeah like the like the fulcrum if you will of, of the right. reed ceiling as the mouthpiece is shorter so the cooperative resistance is coming from a that place is, yeah, and so therefore right. the reads are totally different. It's a bright, it's definitely a brighter, more powerful cut than the Boston Sack Shop reads. I would say, you know, they, they have a quicker response, which, you know, th- when you say that out loud, it sounds like that's the end all be all. Like everybody wants a quick response, but some, some people don't, including no. myself. So it's a totally different vibe. No, as a, as a West Coast nut, mid-century West Coast nuts, I mean, which was the, the business, I did not give the resistance, the cooperative resistance, I'm stealing your term now, Do from it, the mouthpieces I had, where I love my old vintage Brill Hearts, that those yeah. narrow sidewalls give you that resistance to play against. That's yeah. why I released my mouthpiece, because it did. I, I was looking for the feel of resistance. And I think a lot of people don't realize it, it's a balance. If it's completely free-blowing, it's awful. Yeah, you have no core, you have no control you have no homogeny. You're just like a blatty, loud asshole. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) now I have to mark the little E on the podcast update. Thanks, Jack. Oh no, just we're explicit now. Let's get crazy with it. 
Oh my gosh. Sorry. I'm trying very hard. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. Cooperative existence is super important. And I think it takes a long time for a player to understand where they need that in the chain of their setup. And it's super complicated because we just talked about two different variables just in the read. And then when you get into mouthpieces, Mm -hmm. which I've got to say with the Nexus brand, that was our greatest challenge was getting the mouthpiece done. Um, It took us almost 20 prototypes to figure out where that resistance, you know, uh, needed to be in order for it to respond the way that, that Chad wanted to. And that ended up being in the table, but it took, yeah, I mean, there's so many factors. It's, it's insane. So that's, it's been a good journey for me too, because I've, I've learned how to, I've been in the privileged position with creating these products because it's also allowed me to just change like one variable at a time and really get to know what that will do which not many people get to do that. And that's why we have so many opinions out there, you know, because we're just making assumptions instead of actually like, I have five mouthpieces. One of them has this level of concavity in the table. One of them is as flat as possibly can be. One of them is right in the middle. Nothing else is different because they're all CNC machined to aerospace standards. Now I can sit there with the same reed, the same horn on the same day, same position on my neck cork, which is about as objective as you can get and actually tell what that one tiny thing Very, will do. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, yeah, let's because there's we're trying to compare apples to car tires and we get into <laughs> with, with what I call bro science. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like, yeah. oh well the problem with this horn is this type of metal doesn't vibrate that and we're just we're just guessing. It's all yeah, it's all totally yes, exactly what so you that, said. That's really exciting and I have to believe some of the aesthetic is it looks like Chad does not like to exert a lot of effort when he plays. He wants an, an effortless extension of what he's doing when I watch videos of him playing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. I mean, Chad gets serious volume. The only other person that I've been in the room with that gets as much volume when they're playing the saxophone as Chad is Seamus Blake. And Seamus Blake is like, you know, taller than Chad. <laughs> like, it's, he's, sorry, it's, it's a random aside, but like, yeah, he, he needs that, that power um, for sure. So it was a question of kind of, you know, how can we get, all of that power and projection without it sounding like a razor blade and, right. you know, working our way back from there. Cause Chad plays kind of lighter reads as well. I mean, he's playing two and a half in the Nexus reads, which is equivalent to a two in the well, Boston well, Sacks. Tell him reads. to keep practicing. He can go up in a strength. He just, he just, he's just got to keep working at it. Okay? Well, um, no. I'll, I'll help him out. Don't worry about it. Oh Get my some classical goodness. etudes going on. I'll fix him up to a three and a half before he knows it. I I believe in you. No, I mean, there, is you... The, there is an effortlessness to the way he plays. It looks like he hears it and it needs to come out, and he doesn't want like a huge amount of resistance in the way of, as those thoughts are coming out. No, definitely not. But but you know you know being in the room dozens of times with him now while we're testing stuff. I mean he's doing he's doing a, a lot of that here. You know and and again just. I'm the opposite. Like, I don't want to have to do anything in my embouchure or my <laughs> oral cavity. I want to do the least amount of work possible. I want to be able to just move some air right. and let the equipment push back on me so that it doesn't sound thin and bright. And Chad is kind of the opposite. He wants a very efficient mechanical system, and then he's going to control all the resistance and, you know, the, uh, you know, the voicings all inside, you know, oh, his yeah, oral cavity. Yeah. So it's a, it's a totally different approach, and yeah, not without its challenges, but it's really gotten me to learn so much more about you know how this equipment works for different people and kind of diagnosing that. Um, it's been really cool, you know, for sure. 
I, I've noticed a lot of my um, assumptions about what parts of the mouthpiece do when I was prototyping um, the 56. Yeah. Uh, it went out the window like, oh, let's make the chamber bigger. Well, that did not do what I expected. And, and realizing that one variable, people think, oh, large chamber means dark. No, not necessarily at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you if you came to this conclusion as well, but the thing for me, just like, you know, where on saxophones people focus on the resonators or the finish or, you know, stuff like that. And, and to me, the most important determining factor on whether a horn is going to play right or not, all the things... Stamp. <laughs> right? Yes. Is that what yeah, you're going to say? That's the serial number. Right, yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the it's the setup. It's the key yeah. heights, you know. And on a mouthpiece, to me, more important than the tip opening or the baffle profile or the interior of the chamber is the facing curve. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that's 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 been kind of cool to to just again isolate those factors and yeah that that to me is everything that's that's the most interesting um, aspect to me you know so so I'm first of all kudos and congratulations on all the man it's very exciting right. and also I love having Thanks, more dude. more options um, what's next <laughs> for the Boston Sack Shop and and I ask my students for questions Zelda wants to know why are your products always out of stock. <laughs> There's something that she wants that she can't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, well, first off, I can just use the blanket pandemic excuse. There you um, go. Yeah. I mean, supply chain has been really difficult. I mean, all of my products are made all over the world. And so, you know, for some of those companies to even get the raw materials that they need has been a disaster. I mean, I, I won't go into it because everybody can read it on the news. But the other thing that I think is hard for people to sort of wrap their minds around and it's by to, to no fault of their own is just that when you're a small business and you're trying to create high quality products at, at low volume and by mm -hmm. low volume, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're talking hundreds of cases at a time or like hundreds of saxophone necks. I mean, that's low volume in the world of manufacturing. It's not low volume when you're one dude, you know, working with one bank account and refuses to take loans out. So that, that's, 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 you know, that's, that's the other thing is, is sometimes, um, yeah, it's, it's been difficult to find people that are going to produce low volume, high quality. I mean, it's right. kind of like, that's like the unicorn in manufacturing because most of the time people are not going to make something as high quality as what I like to think of are my mouthpieces or my cases or, or necks or whatever, unless you're going to roll up and, and make, you know, 10 to 20,000 units per, per manufacturing run. So therefore I'm working with relatively smaller uh, manufacturers for a lot of the products and it just takes time, you know? And at this stage, I'm still, doing personally doing the vast majority of all the quality control on all of this stuff. I'm oh, checking wow. every single mouthpiece, hand signing it, you know, um, I'm, all the ligatures are, are hand inspected. All the necks are hand inspected. I fit every neck. And I mean, we ship on a bad week, a thousand orders a week. Um, so it takes time. <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> there we have it. Uh, another question from a student. Um, Bill wants to know, where's the high F sharp key? On the next list, where, where did you guys lose it? What, what happened? You didn't spring I mean, for the extra tone hole. I got a drill, Jack. I can do that for oh you. Oh my god! Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I just. I've never had a high up sharp key on any saxophone that I've ever owned. Well, cue, cue the Sarah McLachlan music. 
<laughs> I never had a high of sharp key growing up. I know, I know, I know. Um, Mom worked nine hours a day, and I. That's right. That's right. We had a dirt floor. I didn't dirt have floor, shoes. No, and... I have sharp keys. <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I've, I've never needed one to play. And um, again, neither did Train or Joe Henderson or, you know, Charlie Parker. So like they did okay. Um, and to me, it's, it's not only is it extra weight, but it's also just one thing mechanically more to go wrong. You know, having right. that, that key since it's a sealed key. And it's extremely exposed, like just mechanically. It's just, I, I don't, I don't think you need it. I guess if you're doing classical stuff that requires it, but like, I don't think anybody's going to be playing, you know, uh, the furling etudes on a Nexus anytime soon. I might be wrong, but like, that's not kind of the market. So send me a Nexus and you'll hear it number 14. Like you never heard it before. No. Yeah. No, and I will say, like, I love that, like, it's, once again, the Nexus is like you just said, not a, this is probably not for the high school kid looking to make all state and go study classical at University of Take Your Money. Um, it's, you know, there's a point of view and a perspective to it, which I love. Because, yeah, classical saxophone, is, there's a really good reason to have a high F sharp key. Sure, yeah. But uh, but that I am not. Um, I mean, man, there was a point where I actually made a prototype that didn't have a side F sharp key. <laughs> like, that's that's how stripped what? down then, we how were did considering. You, how did you play uh, your chromatic scale correctly, Jack? You, you don't need to do, you don't need I, that. I, I disagree. I've never used the side B flat key in my life. I use BIS for everything. You can all your students can start, you know, sweating profusely after I said well, that. I just look, Jack. I don't think your Glazunov concerto is going to sound right <laughs> when you do that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but we'll talk more. We'll talk more okay. about that. Okay. We'll, we'll see if we all can right. convince you. So it, I have heard, but once again, we would have to have the exact same horn and then immediately, like, magically make the metal back to its original shape to see what is the difference between having a high of sharp tonal and not, which we can't I do. Mean, that blind testing yeah, well i have multiple have? times of course yeah i mean you know we had probably six identical kind of I, I would say shell saxophones that we started with and like of course i took the high of sharp off one and left it on the other and we played them back and forth i didn't change anything else and uh, you know i couldn't really tell that big of a difference you know between the two other than you know again eventually having that high of sharp key off of their income combination with all the other stuff that I ended up removing or lightening just added to the bottom number of, of reducing the cumulative weight of the saxophone. So it had an effect, but it was an effect in conjunction with everything else that got removed. I don't think in and of itself, you know, I, if you really want to do it on your own horn, you can just put copper tape on the inside of your body tube to seal basically like create a seal around the inside of the tone hole and see if it does something for you. If it does something for you, great. Go have somebody cut it off your horn. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it to your podiatrist. They're used to that kind of thing. No there problem. you go. There so you what's, go. Jack, what's next for BSS, man? For Boston Sackshot? Yeah. Um, I got to finish up this mouthpiece line. Um, I have about six other mouthpiece designs that I have in solid model form that we need to start 3d prototyping and then hopefully move into full production um so that's kind of the focus we, we had a we had a, a personnel change at the facility that that makes the 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 pieces it's a very it's like a three-man operation um that runs the cnc stuff so we had to find a new engineer which set us back about six months but now oh. we're we're 
yeah, it sucks, but I didn't want to work with anybody else um, for kind of the reasons I was talking about earlier, where it's, it's hard to find somebody who's going to make something that right. nice for you. Um, so yeah, we're just finishing, uh, they should be prototyping the Alta stuff in the next couple of weeks, you know, in 3d form, and then we'll move into the hard rubber, uh, modeling. That's amazing. Now you do have the heritage neck for Alto, correct? Yeah, that, I, that finally got finished. Um, and I started taking pre-sales for that maybe uh, again, a week ago that took over a year to get done. And I, I did sell a heritage Alto neck before like maybe two or three years ago but with both of the neck designs my original neck designs which is just one of the pitfalls of you know working uh with a country where you're not actually in it um is i had to i had to redo everything because i found out that the original design that i had created was being sold to other companies and they weren't Uh... keeping it yeah and there was like pretty much nothing i could do um other than decide do I want to just keep going and, you know, have trouble sleeping at night knowing that anybody could put their name on, on this and, and that it would be essentially the same as, as the design that I've been selling and saying is exclusive, um, or start over. And so I started over and that's why, you know, uh, the, the tenor neck basically got a, a, a redesign, uh, last year. And now the alpha neck is, is, is done. And those will be, um, coming to us middle of next month, I think. Yeah, man, that's really exciting. Different finish options. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll start with silver and brass, and we'll offer those in the the stippled, the hand stippled option, which is a a cool finish we do. That at the looks shop. really cool. How do they? How do they, How do you hand stipple? Stipple? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Stipple? Yeah, it's not a very attractive term. It doesn't really do it justice. But it's um it's a jewelry technique, uh, which is I guess the best way to describe it is it's a it's a micro hand hammering. And we have uh, a jewelry tool that's designed specifically to do that. That I mean, the, the tip of the tool is like the like the same size as the tip of a uh, mechanical pencil, and it's each one of those dots is on a reciprocating little motor. And, and like literally, we sit there by hand, and you know, a ligature takes about mm, twenty to thirty minutes, a neck takes about an hour to do at this point. But it's wow. What are you listening yeah. to while you do that, Jack? Who's your? What, what do you listen to these days? What's a record that you just can't put down right now? Music wise, um, well, I assume you're not listening to like old political records or comedies albums. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, le- I really love the speeches of George McGovern on vinyl. Oh my god, wow, that's um, thank you for that. Um, let's see, I don't know. Uh, I, I've, I've actually kind of just picked up the horn again with a semi serious intent for the first time in a long time, so I've been revisiting some old. Old friends, like, you know, mainly Rich Perry, um, just been listening to a lot of Rich recently. Um, and, you know, Joe Lovano, uh, like the Quartet's records, um, nothing super, super modern, even though obviously, like, I'm checking out all the new releases from all the Boston Sack Shop artists. Um, you know, Melissa had an album that came out pretty recently that's that's absolutely incredible um emmanuel wilkins first well, album I'm sorry I, I forgive me my heart lives in the 1950s so i'm still catching up on all the new who's uh melissa is one of your artists what is her last name melissa aldana okay i'm gonna check her out and see if i can get um maybe do an album review for her i've heard good things oh yeah she's incredible she just got signed to blue note um my yeah, goodness she's great um and then again emmanuel wilkins is Releasing a new album soon, and he's been putting out some kind of, you know, one track at a time. Same with Walter Smith III, um, who just became a Boston Sock Shop uh, endorser. Uh, So he's got a new record coming out, and he's released, I think, two or three tracks from that. So, like, you know, I'm listening to 
Joe Henderson and, and, you know, kind of my, my home territory, but at the same time, like it's important for me to uh, keep up with, with what all the incredible Boston Tech Shop folks are doing um, and, you know, learn more about their music and their style so that I can do a better job creating products that they're going to like, you know, and they seem to like it, which is, I mean, your <laughs> roster is, is, is pretty incredible. I'm very fortunate. I mean, I never in a million years, never in a million years would, would think that I have these, this, I mean, these are my heroes. Um, and to have them not only as endorsers, but people that I consider to have, you know, personal relationships with has been, uh, yeah, it's still crazy. Some days I look at my, like my text chains and I'm just like, this, this doesn't make, this is insane. Like, I wish I could go back to high school me and show them that all these people I'd be having, like, you know, basically in constant contact with. That's and amazing. I would have, yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, and it's been so, um, so rewarding, you know? Well, I also love that from my understanding, you, you do create a, a relationship with your artists. It's not, it's, it's a give and take. It's, it's two ways. Whereas another a large company won't mean is basically, Hey, promote us, make free educational resources for us. And in return, you'll get literally nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I don't think I'm doing anything unique from a business standpoint, but I think it is unique in this, uh, in this particular, you know, sector, um, where, I do not sell, you know, a, a traditional business model for, for our industry, right, is big company creates the products, they use their artists as leverage to get those products into stores, and then the store sells the products to the, you know, average consumer. Right. Whereas with Boston Sock Shop, it's a direct sales model, meaning that you can't go to a store and buy Boston Sock Shop products in the United States. Um, so we sell everything basically through social media, and therefore those people who are endorsing the products are, are really important. I mean, they're a part of the business. And I feel that, you know, 25 years ago, if you wanted to figure out what kind of mouthpiece Jeff Coffin was playing, you were going to find that out through, you know, print media or going to a performance or a masterclass and hearing it, you know, come out right. of his mouth. But like now these artists have so much power because they're creating their own advertisements for whatever they're playing, even if they don't know it. So it's really important for me that the artists can share in the profitability of the business and that all the content that they're creating that inevitably is going to drive some traffic towards the brands that they're promoting, they should be paid for that. I mean, that's just, you know, that's a no brainer. And I guess for the first kind of two and a half, three years of employing that technique with Boston Sack Shop and kind of seeing people that I never thought in a million years would leave those major, major endorsements. Like I kept waiting for the shoe to drop and for these brands to like kind of get with the new program and start offering that to these people to keep them, retain them as artists. And none of them have, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. well, I, well, I mean, it means you're doing something right. I'm assuming blackmail. I'm assuming you've got like compromising photos and like, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming you've got like a picture of Joel Fromm beating a toddler or, you know, something like that, that you're just like, you got in your back pocket. Whenever you need. Come on, man. I was trying to take the high road. I was trying to sound like, you know, I was changing the game out here, and now you're just making me into an asshole. <laughs> well, well, now you're admitting that that's what you... No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, no! I mean, no, no, man. We've got, we've got mutual friends, um, and, and they all speak very highly of you, and they, they feel really part to be part of that, that kind of family. And you've got a, like a cult-like following online. Like, I'm, I really get tired of people talking about Boston Sex Shop Reads. I like them, I, you know, um, but... Whatever you're doing, man, um, congratulations and kudos. Um, 
what else you got going on today? Where, where are you headed now? Um, you know, today's a work from home day, so it's it's boring kind of back end. Stippling? Got a couple hours oh, of stippling okay. ahead? No, oh my goodness. No, uh, let's see. I'm actually probably going to do a live. I haven't done a live in two weeks, so I think, you know, I'm going to get another shot of coffee me and, and do an Instagram live afterward. I mean, it's just important. It's important to connect with the community and um, yeah. I got, you know, it's it's part of part of uh part of what i do for the brand well, and I, I i love it well, i love you, know? you actually do connect with the community i i have a couple of the best performing uh yamaha reviews on youtube which yeah. i don't expect anything but obviously but i have a question and i can't get anyone to even answer a question i just just a question i don't want anything free i just want my damn <laughs> question answered and like i was like who do i contact uh, yeah but if you got a question about boston sex shop you're personally in there in your instagram and and, and wrangling up your tribe and it's it's impressive man I, I, that well, was sincere, just, and I regret that. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate it, dude. I mean, it's 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 just giving a shit, which I know you <laughs> care too. But like, I mean, seriously, like that's that's. Let's not let anyone know. I know, but that's that's the difference. I mean, dude, it's not easy. It's not easy to care all the time or, right. or care this deeply. But um, you know, if you're passionate about it and you really really believe in what you're doing, I mean, people again, people buy the story, and. Uh, you know, if it's a true story, even better. And I like to think that in, in, in this case, it is, you know, I mean, I really do care about this stuff. And I really, yeah, I think people, for better or for worse, they pick up on that, you know? I agree, man. Well, wishing you continued success. And I, I'd love to chat again soon as more products come out, man. For um, sure. All right. Good seeing you, man. Yeah, likewise. And congrats on everything that you're, you're doing as well. <laughs>